Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Middle one, okay. Thank you for sharing the pulpit with me this morning. It's a great privilege to be here. Before the pandemic, usually on Sabbath, I preach at a different church in a conference. And as I preach, I keep a log. Every Sabbath, I keep a log. What I preach, how long I took, and my notes. I looked up Downey Church, and I saw that I was here for Pathfinder Day. I'm not going to tell you the date. But I wonder how many of you remember when I was here last. I know Bill was here, probably, and Irene, because it was Pathfinder Day. I want to ask Bill, what did I preach on? Pathfinders. Pathfinders. <laughs> a preacher went to the church, a brand new preacher, just out of school, and he started preaching. And as he preached, people said, man, we got it made. We got a good preacher. The second week he came to the church, he preached the same sermon, exact same sermon, same text, same songs. Same illustration, same moral story. And at the end, people says, oh, okay, we'll give him a chance. Second week, he probably was busy. He's probably new. He doesn't have too many sermons. The third week he came, same thing. Same sermon, same topic, same illustrations, same, point, same points. The fourth week, same thing. And the people started to wonder. They said to themselves, hey, I wonder what's wrong with this pastor. He probably has only one sermon. So guess what? We're going to be listening to it for the next several years. The head elder came up to the preacher and says, Preacher, we're kind of disappointed. You've been preaching the same sermon for four weeks. And we think it's time to change. And he looked at the head elder and he says, Elder, when you listen to my sermon, and when you do as I say, then I will change. If not, I'll preach the same sermon again and again. Is it this mic here? Okay. Is it better? So this morning, I looked at Bill and I looked at Irene. They probably did not remember the same sermon I preached several years ago. So I'm going to preach the same sermon. Is that okay? No, I'm not. When I was growing up, my dad was a strong individual. He was very, very strong. And he looked at me and he says, boy, I want you to remember one thing. When you get married and you get a family, remember you are the head of the house. Was that good advice? Then my mother piped in. And she says, yeah, you're the head of the house, but I'm the neck, and I tell you how to turn. Is that right, girl, ladies? Then my dad says, no, 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 son. When you're a man, you get married and you have children, remember, you were the pants in the house. Isn't that right, guy? Isn't that right? Yeah? Your wife's here, but you can admit that, can't you? And then my mom piped in. Yeah, you wear the pants in the house, but guess what? I tell you what pants to wear. <laughs> so you know what that tells me? That tells me the man and a woman is equal in the house. Now that I agree on. In Genesis, it tells us that. 
When God created man, he created woman, and he made them equal, not one above the other. Now, I had a tremendous family. I had a tremendous family home. I loved my parents. My mom and dad were very strict. My mom and dad told me exactly what to do, and I followed. I remember when I was in junior high, my father came up to me and said, Son, your halo is tipping. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, your halo is tipping. And your mother and I decided to do something. We are going to send you to church school. And I said to myself, excuse me? What? He said, Monday, you are going to church school. And I said, I am not. And my mother and father sat me down and we argued. We argued for over two hours I'm not going, you're going, I'm not going, you're going, I'm not going, you're going. And I thought of all the reasons why I should not be going to church school. And guys, isn't it true? When you argue with mom and dad, do you win or do you lose? You win. No, you lose. After two hours, we argued and we argued and we argued. And I was not going to give in. Over my dead body was I going to give in. I was not going to give in because I did not want to go to church school. All my friends went to public school. I went to public school all my life. I played sports and I made the JV team. And I'm not going to go to church school. I didn't have any friends there. But my parents said, you going to church school? And I said, I am not going to church school. Monday morning. I was on my way to church school. As I left the house, my mom said, son, I want to tell you something. I said, what, mom? She said, after school, when you go to church school, you will have to work. And I said to myself, work? Excuse me? That's child abuse. Isn't that right? You can't work after school. You study all day in school. And after school, you got to go to work. Can you imagine that? And I said, ah, I'm not going to work. That's child abuse. I'm going to call the police before I go to work. After school, she says, I want you to go to the principal's office. And I want you to go in there. And he has one job left for you. And I said, oh, boy. And all day in school when I walked and I studied, I didn't think of anything that I can think of except one thing. I want to go to public school. And I prayed. And I had a good relationship with Jesus. And I says, Lord, spare me from this torture. Spare me from this, this hassle where I'm going. I can't stand it here. I says, God, you're a God of miracles. You can open the Red Sea for Moses. Remember Moses? You opened the Red Sea for Moses, and the children of Israel went through. Lord, mine is so simple. Just spare me from this school. Forget the Red Sea. But Lord, you're a God of God. You're a God of miracles. Remember Daniel in a lion's den? You shut the lion's mouth. Lord, I'm not going to face the lions. All I'm going to do is I want to go back to public school. Please, Lord, answer my prayers. I don't know how you're going to do it, but please answer my prayers. And you know, my favorite book, Desire of Ages, tells us in page 330, God has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we don't know of any. Isn't that correct? And I says, God, if you got a thousand ways to provide for me, all you got to do is just one simple thing. I don't know what it is, but you tell me. And I had faith. I had faith like a mustard seed. It'll grow. And I grew, and my mustard seed grew. And at the end of the day, I went to the principal's office. And I said, Mr. So-and-so, my mom said you had a job for me. And all of a sudden, he looked at me, and he says, I am so sorry. 
All, we don't, all the jobs are taken. We have no jobs for you. I woke up and I said, praise the Lord. I didn't know it was going to be so easy. Now I don't have to go to the school. Wasn't, wasn't it great? My God answered prayers so simple. Oh, I could not even imagine how he could answer my prayers. And then all of a sudden, the principal looked at me and he says, but. And you know, when mom and dad tells you, but, that's not a good sign. Isn't that right? Yeah, you agree with me. Man, when the principal says, but, I looked at him and I says, I said, oh boy, what happened now, Lord? And he says, but, we have one more job at the elementary school and we saved it for you. I says, oh no. And I, my mind started going and I was very bright. I thought of all the ideas why I can't go there. And I said, but mister, guess what? I don't have a car. I can't go to this, the elementary school. It's a mile away. I can't go there. And he looked at me and he says, boy, guess what? I said, what? You got two feet and you can walk. I said, excuse me? In the hot Hawaiian sun, I'm going to walk a mile to work, which I don't want anyway? He says, yep. And oh, man, I started to walk a mile. and It was hot. It was sweaty. I looked at every tin can I can find on the ground, and I kicked it. I found every pop can, and I kicked it, and I started walking. And finally, I went to the elementary school a mile away. Can you imagine walking a mile? We didn't have any snow, but it was a mile away, and I had to walk. And I went there, and I went into the office, and there was a huge principal. He was bigger than me. He was twice as tall as I was. He was twice as big, and his name was Mr. Plubel. And I walked in, and I said, sir, I hear that you have a job for me. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and he says, yes, we have one more job, and it is for you. I looked at him, and I said, oh, boy, what am I going to be doing, pulling weeds? Cleaning, cleaning, cleaning the classrooms, clapping the erasers. He looked at me and he got up from his chair. He looked straight in my eyes and you know what he told me? He said, follow me. And I did because he was so big, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything else. So I followed him. He turned right out of his office. He turned right down the hall. When he got out of the building, he turned left and he went into a small closet. He opened up the closet and he looked at me and he smiled. And he got a blue bucket. I still remember that blue bucket. And in the blue bucket, he put a sponge. He had a little white brush. And he put some pine salt in it. He filled it with water. He looked at me and he said again, follow me. And I followed him. He went into the first bathroom and he started cleaning. And I looked at him and I said to myself, uh-uh, this boy is not going to be doing that. I'm not going to be cleaning bathrooms. I was blessed. I had two sisters. They cleaned the bathrooms at home. I never cleaned a bathroom myself. He cleaned the bathroom. Then he cleaned the sink, washed the mirrors, scrubbed the floor, picked up the bucket, and he went to another restroom. And he looked at me again, and he said, follow me. And guess what? I followed him. And I went into the restroom, the second restroom, and he did the same thing. The third restroom, the fourth restroom, the fifth restroom, five different restrooms, and he cleaned it. And I followed him and he put the things away and he said to me, see you tomorrow. Tuesday came and I went down to the elementary school after walking that miserable mile. And I walked in and he got up from his chair and he says, hi, how you doing today? I said, not so good. And he looked at me and he just told me, follow me. And I followed. 
And I followed him, and he did the same thing. Turned right out of his office, turned right on the, the first hallway, turned left into this closet, and he picked up the blue, blue, blue bucket, filled it with pine saw, got the brush, got the ages, got everything, and he just went to the first bathroom, and he started cleaning it again. And as he cleaned it, I said to myself, uh-uh, this boy's not going to do it. Can you imagine that? Me cleaning bathrooms? I was in high school, and can you imagine me trying to impress the opposite gender? And they asked me, what do you do? Oh, I clean toilets. That was not going to happen to me. It would ruin my reputation. I mean, I'd never get a date in my life. The third day I went down, and Wednesday I went down. He did the same thing. He looked at me, got out of his chair, got out of his office, went down to that closet, got the things, and started cleaning toilets again. On Thursday, I said to myself, pretty good. The principal does a job, and I get the pay. Wasn't that great? The Lord did answer prayers. I went into his office and he looked at me and he says, son, can you do what I did the last three days? And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, Mr. Plubel, not only can I do it, but I can do it better. I went out of his office. I went into that closet. I got the blue bucket. I filled it up twice as much. I put twice as much pine salt that, that he used because I was doing a better job. And I cleaned all the toilets, all the sinks, all the mirrors, and all the floor. And finally, when I got through, it was about 5 o'clock. I went to his office, and I said, Mr. Plubel, I'm finished. And you know what? He had the gumption to say. He looked at me, and he says, boy, did you do a good job? And I looked at him, and I said, I did a better job than you. Follow me. And he followed me. And we went to the first bathroom. And before we went in, I said, Mr. Plubel. I want you to take your shoes off because it's so clean. And he looked at it and he says, yo. And I went in there and he went in there and he looked at it. He says, man, this is the most tremendous job I've ever seen. You did a better job than I. And he praised me up and down, up and down, up and down. And you know, he praised me so much. I kept that job for three years. And I took pride in it. And if anybody teased me, I threw the brush at him. But if Mr. Plubel on the first day of work, when I went in there, and if he said, go clean the bathrooms, guess what? I would have I left his office, I would have run away from home, and I would have never cleaned a bathroom. But because he led me, because he showed me how to do it, I did it. I learned, and I did it for three years. This is what we can learn with our children today. We cannot tell them what to do. Isn't that correct? You don't tell kids what to do, but you show them how to do it. You show them what can be done and what should be done. Instead of telling them, you have to tell, you have to show them. In fact, psychologists have said today that if you want a kid to do, do, do something, you tell them just the opposite and they'll do it. Is that correct? As you lead the individuals, guess what? You have to show them exactly what to do and how to do it. My God tells us, that we should train a child in a way that he should go. That's the only command that really God gave in the Bible for fathers. Fathers and mothers, as you work together raising kids, train up a child in a way that he should go. Isn't that correct? Proverbs 22, 6. I have a hobby that my wife hates. She thinks I'm crazy. My girls think I'm crazy. But I got a hobby. And how many of you men have hobbies? Yeah, you all got hobbies? Bill, what's your hobby? Guitars, music, yeah, Chris, surf, ooh, any other fathers? 
Sir, what's your hobby back there? Plants. Oh, great. Any, any other father? What's your hobby, my brother? Rocks. Rocks. Oh, man. But I got a hobby. And my hobby is so stupid, my wife says, that she, she thinks you're crazy. You know what my hobby is? And I've been doing it for over 40 years. My hobby is playing police. I love playing a reserve police officer. Oh, I love it. My wife thinks I'm crazy. Every time I put on my uniform, she just curses me, literally. She doesn't like it. And you know, one of my buddies is a canine officer. And he has a dog, and his dog is such an obedient dog. I followed him in another car, and when we went to a scene, he opens up the door, the police dog comes out, and he gives a command, and a police dog comes right onto his side. When he goes into a scene, he holds the dog, and actually he kisses a dog before he sends a dog in. I've seen him kiss him on the head, and he speaks into the dog's ear, and a dog goes. And the dog, whenever he does something, he gives a command, and the dog do exactly what he wants. I remember one scene we had. It was a suspect who robbed a store, and he hid into a, into a building. And so he got his dog. He kissed his dog on the head. He talked to the dog, and the dog went in. Within a few seconds, the man started crying, help, 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 and the dog got him down. And the man, and the, well, the canine officer said one word, and the dog let loose, and the dog came to his side, and he walked out. As we were in a station, I looked at him, and I says, how in the world did you have such an obedient dog? Now, my daughter has a dog, a Jack Russell mix. You folks probably have seen him. And that dog doesn't listen to me. When I says, come, he doesn't come. He looks at me, and he says, huh? And when I tell him, let's go for a walk, he said, excuse me? And when I tell him, go outside, he goes outside. But when I tell him to come back, he just looks at me. He says, when I'm ready. But this police dog, whatever command the officer gave, he follows it to the max. And I told him, I says, how in the world did you ever train this dog to be like this? And he said, sir, it took me at least six months before this dog really listened to me. And I said to myself, excuse me, six months? If we had our kids for six months, would they listen to us that way too? And he said, it, takes me, it took me at least six months before the dog responded to me. And he said, there were three things that they taught us how to train the dog. And I says, man, if it took six months to train a dog, will it take six months to train a kid? I want to share the three points with you. He said, the first point they taught us was to love your dog. He said, you've got to show love. You've got to show love to your dog that he knows that there's a relationship. He said, I spend so much time with my dog that my wife gets jealous because she thinks I spend more time with him than with her. But he says, you've got to love your dog. And yet in people, we've got to love our kids. We've got to show our kids love. And one of the ways we show our kids love is when they make a mistake, we can overlook it. We can train them and we can say, yes, that's a mistake. But it's what you do with the mistake that really counts. One of my favorite books, Child Guidance, page 251, says, Love is the key to a child's heart. Love is the key to a child's heart. You need to love them to death. Whether it's an animal, if you have a pet, you've got to love them and show them love too. But when you have children, you've got to make sure that you show them love. The second point, he said, I spend time with my dog. 
He, spent, I, he said, I spend so much time with my dog that I work with him all day. But when we go home, we go jogging. We go to the beach. But my dog is with me all the time. I spend quality time with a dog. It's so easy today, especially in this day and age, to spend time with the kids. Bring them home. Flip the TV on. Flip the videos on. Give them a telephone, give them a phone, give them an iPhone. They can entertain themselves. But this is not spending time with the kids. You need to spend quality time with your children. As you spend quality time with them, they will respond. I had an uncle, and he was a Seventh-day Adventist. And his sons, he had four sons. He had four sons, and he had to spend quality time with them. And you know what he did? And I watched, because sometimes I would go over to the house after school. And I'd go over the house and I'd see him. He had four sons. And there were, there were four days in a week that he dedicated to them. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He gave each boy, each of his son, one day of the week. And he told his boys, he said, this is your day. When I come home from work, you can choose what we will do. And we'll do anything that you want to do. He was a welder that worked at the shipyard at Pearl Harbor. And boy, he was tired when he came home. But when he came home, he wanted to spend time with his son. He came home at 3.30 and the boys after school did not hang out at the playgrounds. They didn't hang out with their friends, but they came home on, this, on these days because they knew their dad was going to spend time with them. And it's a quality time that he spent. He'd come home and he says, okay, David, what, this is your day. What do you want to do? Well, dad, let's go surfing. He'd pack up the surf boys in the truck, take them surfing. On another day, he says, Dexter, this is your day. What do you want to do? Oh, Dad, let's go hiking. You know, he could have easily said, I worked all day. I cannot spend time with you folks because I'm tired. Respect me. But he took the boys hiking. Another day, the boys would say, Dad, I want to do this. I don't want to do this. And every day, the, the day that was assigned to the boy, the father did. And today... All four boys love their parents like you would not believe. There's a relationship. And before they passed away, they would do anything for their parents because the parents showed them love. And it's this kind of love and this kind of time that God wants us to spend with our kids. Same book. Child Guidance, page 474. Parents should allow nothing to prevent children from I'm sorry, parents should not allow nothing to prevent them from giving their children all the time that is necessary to make them understand what it means to trust and obey the Lord fully. You need to do this. As I was reading scripture, in the book of Samuel, one of my favorite books, it talks about Eli. And Eli had two sons. But you know that two sons of Eli actually rebelled against the dead and rebelled against God. And we have insights from the scripture that the reasons why Eli's sons went away was because he did not discipline his son enough. When the sons made a mistake, he would say, oh, they're too young. That's okay. They're young. That's why they make the mistakes. And he never reprimanded them. And he would always say, oh, my sons will learn in the future how to reprimand themselves or how to correct themselves. But Eli never was strict with them, although he spent time. So we've got to discipline and we've got to watch our children so that they will walk in a path of righteousness. The third point, this officer told me, he says, I am consistent with my dog. He said, dogs are not the brightest animals in the world. By the way, you know what the brightest animal in the world is, they say? Pigs. Can you imagine that? 
pigs. That's why they eat them. Because they don't want them around because they're smarter than them. But pigs, they found, are the, one of the smartest animals in the, in, in, this, in, this, in the world that we have. But he says, I spend consistent time with my dog. When I tell my dog yes, it's always yes. When I tell my dog no, it's always no. When I tell my dog something, I'm consistent with my dog. We need to be consistent with our kids, don't we? We need to be consistent with our kids. I got a kid brother, seven years younger than I am. He just turned 40, if you believe me. But my kid brother is seven years younger than I am. Not as handsome as not as smart. But my kid brother was a terror. He was worse than I was. He didn't even wear a halo. My halo tit, but he didn't wear a halo. One day, he came home from school. And he had a note from the teacher. Your boy suspended because we caught him smoking in school. And I was home from college. And I came home and my mom showed me the note. I says, wow. Beautiful. When dad gets home, he will show who's boss. Because my dad was not a man of, you know, nonsense. So when my dad came home, he grabbed, he says, Tim, come here. And Tim went there. And my dad says, I got the note from school. What's the deal? They caught you smoking. Why are you smoking? And my kid was pretty smart. My kid brother was pretty smart. He looked at my dad. And you know what he told my dad? He didn't say, Dad, I'm so sorry. Give me another chance. Or he says, Dad, it wasn't me. But you know what he told my dad? He looked my dad straight in the eye and he says, Dad, if you can smoke, I can smoke. And my dad stopped and I was watching him from the window. Tears came from his eyes and he reached in his pocket and he grabbed the cigarettes out of his pocket. He squished it and I saw him throw it on a roof. And my dad never touched another cigarette in his life because he knew that he was not an example to his son. We need to be examples to our young people. Not only we as parents, but we as a church, church members should be an example to our children. Is that correct? We have to show them what we do, how we do it, and what should be done. If we are an example to them, they will follow in a path that we lead. If we're inconsistent, they will get confused. That's why we have so much confusion in this world. People are saying, do as I say, but don't do as I do. You ever heard that expression? Do as I say, but don't do as I do. But in a Christian life, God has told us that, hey, we need to what? Show them how to do it and what to do. We should be an example to our young people on what to do, how to do, where to go, what to eat, how to do this. If we're an example to our young people, they will follow. Let's not confuse our young people. As we confuse our young people, that's what the devil wants. He throws stumbling blocks all the way in on their path. But people, let's not do this. I see we got some young people. Let's be an example to these young boys here, a young person here. Let's lead them in the path of righteousness. And another thing, if I can go a step further. Whenever they make a mistake, we can always say, that's okay. Get up and let's do it again. Let's make this church a church of refuge. That when they make a mistake, they say, hey, I can come to church and the people will help me. Wouldn't it be great? When a young people make a mistake, they come to church and we say, hey, that's okay. Let's do it again. Let me help you. How can I help you? That's all we need to do. Instead of, instead of criticizing them and condemning them and pushing them out of the church, let's not do that. One of the saddest things 
that I've seen in my ministry, in my experience, was a young girl. She made a mistake. She made a big mistake. And the church was so angry with this individual. And you know what they told this young girl? We want you to go up front of the church and apologize and tell them that you did wrong and you sinned. Can you imagine that? That's not what we do. And I remember I went to that board meeting because that, the parents of this girl asked me to come to the board meeting. And I went to that board meeting and I says, people, that's not what we do. What we do is we comfort them. We show them it's okay that we all make mistakes. You look at the Bible. Look in the Bible. All the Bible characters. All the way from Adam until Revelation. Weren't they all human beings? Did not they all make mistakes? Didn't they? You look at their lives. They make mistakes. And you know what God said? That's okay. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And I have a plan for you too. So this is what we have to do for our young people. We have to show them love. We have to be, we got to spend time with them. And we've got to live a consistent life so we can lead them in a path of righteousness. Same book, Child Guidance, 482. By leading a consistent life and exercising self-control, parents, and I'm going to add also members, may mold the character of the children. Boy, that's... That's a dynamite statement. This is how you mold the character of a child. Guess what? You mold the character of a child by living a consistent life. And as they live and as they watch you, they will follow. Let's dedicate ourselves to the young people of the church. Let's dedicate ourselves to the children that we may lead them in a path of righteousness. Because when we go to heaven, people, there's nothing you can take but your family and friends. Did you know that? I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care where you live, what kind of house you live in. You can't take it to heaven. I don't care how much money you have in a bank. You can't take your money to heaven. I don't care what you have in this earthly possession. You cannot take it to heaven. And I love the children's story. When the children says, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven too. But I want to make sure that my friends, my young people, the kids that I know, my children will make it into the kingdom of God too. Let's work together that we can show these people, and not only show these people, but these three principles too, we can apply it to one another, that we can share and we can be glorified in the light of the Lord. Loving Lord, thank you for giving us insights. Thank you for hearing us. And we plead with you that you come into our lives, that we may know what to do and when to do and how to do it, that we can lead individuals closer to you. Help us. Help us not to be a stumbling block, but help us to be a light shining in darkness that we may lead people to see you with a clear picture is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.